Well, it's great to see you. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to uh, Luke chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 25 to 35 in our time together uh, this morning. I don't know if you've had this experience. Um, have you ever gotten calls from people um, that want to sell you stuff? Well, yeah, that happens all the time. The, the, the weird thing that happened to me one time is I had um, this guy come by because he promised me a, a big piece of like steak. So I thought I could handle almost any session if I could get a steak at the end of the thing. So I let him come. And you know, the bottom line is he wanted to send, sell me all this fresh, frozen meat that's higher quality than anything you've ever seen before in your life. And and I kindly listened to the whole conversation, and I'm just thinking, steak at the end, because I don't want any of this. Um, but I did think as we were going through at one particular point, I, I asked him, I said, look, I just have a very simple question for you. Could you tell me how much it is per pound? Because like, he said, well, we don't share that information. Because our quality is so high that you don't want to get kind of get caught up into that. And I said, I got to get caught up into that because I got to pay my bills every month. So just tell me, what does that cost per pound? And I'm telling you, he was with me for an hour, and he never told me how much anything costs per pound. So I, I smiled, tried to, and then when he left, I never did get my piece of steak. Can you believe that? So it was really frustrating me, and all I wanted to find out was, tell me what it's going to cost, just so I know what I'm getting into. I mean, that was a fair question, wasn't it? One of the things I love about Jesus Christ is he tells us exactly what it's going to cost to be his follower. Now, folks, let me just quickly say this as we work through this text. At one level, at the very core level, when you become a Christian, it costs you nothing, right? Because you can't pay for your salvation. Only Christ can pay for your salvation. But at another level, when you come to Christ, it costs you everything because it'll change your life. D do you see? And Jesus is dealing more with the second than the first in this passage. In the last section where we looked at two weeks ago, in that final parable, Jesus tells us that the gospel reach touches all people. Is, is there any kind of person on this earth that the gospel doesn't touch? Do you have to have a certain IQ? Do you have to be at a so, certain social economic status? Do you have to have a certain religious background? The answer to all that is no. We learn in that parable, the gospel reaches out and touches all. So the reach is inclusive. But in this passage, we find out the message is exclusive. It's very focused. Listen to what he says. Verse 25. And you have notes also in your, in your bulletins. If you want to look at it, that's fine. If not, that's fine too. Now, great multitudes were going along with him. And he turned and said to them. And now, I've often wondered when I read this passage. You know, if Jesus would have been following some of the, uh, the contemporary groups in our day, how to grow big churches... He wouldn't have said what he was going to say right now. Would he? He's got all this massive amount of people now th throbbing, just coming after him and listening to him. That would be the time to say, let's get more. Let's make it bigger. But instead, Jesus says, 
I want you to know exactly what it means to be a follower of me. And he doesn't care about the size. He cares about the reality, doesn't he? Let me read the passage, and then I want to kind of come at it a little bit differently. Let me just read it first. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He doesn't leave a wiggle room out for anybody, does he? I mean, not even you. Any person, think of the closest people in your life. It's all of that. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to, to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks, Terms of peace. So therefore, no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But even if salt has become salt tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear let him hear. That's a hard passage, isn't it, folks? I mean, there are passages you read in the Gospels and you say, like, whoa. I mean, that, that seems pretty tight. And it is. I'm going to kind of walk you through it if you have your notes, if not. And, and, and what Jesus does is two powerful things. First, first, Jesus helps us to recognize the cost of following him. That's where he starts. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't make the Christian life, if you become a Christian, you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Does he? No. haven't you found sometimes believers come to faith in Jesus Christ and life gets worse? Uh, no, people come to faith in Christ and become believers and life gets harder, doesn't it? So we have to be very, very careful. And Jesus doesn't make those kinds of promises. He has this interesting parable about counting the cost, this first one. Where, where he talks here about somebody who builds a tower and has to calculate the cost before completing it. Um, a couple of years ago, I was over in China teaching. And, and I still don't know the ins and outs of all this. I can only tell you what I saw. But the, the guy I was with, he took me to the kind of the local mall area. And we, we walked around and um, you came to this gorgeous restaurant that was packed. And right next to it was this beautiful hotel that was totally empty and falling apart. And right next to it was another restaurant that looked nice on the outside, but I could see as I looked inside, it was, it, they hadn't put anything in it and it had broken down. And next to that, there was another hotel, and that one was doing really, really well. And I asked him, I said, this doesn't really, as an American, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 
He said, all I can tell you, Doug, is in this particular area of China, they just build whether they can finish it or have the finances for it or not. I mean, I don't, honestly, folks, I don't know what that's all about. I just saw building after building. Some were good, some weren't. Some were good, some weren't. I thought to myself, now that's ridiculous. To spend that kind of money to get something started and then stop it halfway through, like, what's that all about? And Jesus is saying this. Perhaps you're with us here today and you, know, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me just tell you this. There's nothing you can do to become a Christian but trust in the one who has died for you. But I want you to know something. If you do become a Christian, your life will never be the same. Everything will change. And Jesus does say this. When we're evangelizing and talking to people, we need to be honest to them. You can do nothing to save yourself, but when you become a Christian, everything will change. It costs you nothing. It costs you everything. Do you see that, folks? How that plays together? And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. All these people saying, and he says, Jesus says, count the cost. Realize that things will never be the same if you become one of mine. So what will it cost? Jesus says it will cost all of your personal relationships. I love my family, don't you? I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my extended family. I love my family. But to be a Christian means that I always have to love God more. And so when there's conflict and my kids say, Dad, I want to do this or, or whatever, some family member says this, I've got to always go with God. Because Jesus says, if you're going to be mine, now, the passage here says hate. Does that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, it should. It should. Don't think of hate as some emotional feeling that says, I, you disgust me. Somebody's saying. The way the term is used in the scripture is that you could also put, you could put the word reject in there in the sense. When God tells me what to do, and my brother or sister or children say something opposite, guess what I always do? I will always reject, I should always reject what they say and go with God. So he says, I take such priority in your life that every other personal relationship you will say no to when I say yes. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. Is that easy for any of us? We were talking in Sunday school today about another issue. These are things we struggle with all the time. And we constantly have to come back to a gracious God and say, God, change me. Because it's so easy for me to put people before you. But he calls us in this passage as a disciple. If you're going to become a Christian, he will change your life so that he will be central to everything. I'm concerned sometimes, as you probably are, that American Christianity is 3,000 miles wide and about a half an inch deep. And that's never the way it was meant to be, folks. Jesus says, to be my follower means it's total devotion to me, which means I take priority over every other relationship. 
not only over every other relationship, but also over every other desire and expectation. Nobody says, look at what he says here in verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I know sometimes people will say something like, you know, being married to that guy, he's my cross, I got to bear. You know, I've, I've heard people say that. That's not what he's talking about in this passage. I don't know who your husband is, and maybe there's some truth to all that, but whatever. That's not what he's talking about here. You know, like Henry, or whatever, no. What he's saying is this. In the ancient world, you know, when we, when we see crosses around somebody's neck now, we say, hey, there's another Christian. Hey, good stuff or something like that. Um, but if I had a hang new, hangman's noose around my neck or an electric chair hanging from, I mean, what would you, like, what would you think? Yeah, that's right. But you see, in the ancient world, to bear your cross meant that you were willing to die. Because the cross meant it's all over. I'm carrying my cross. This is going to end up in my death. That, that's what it meant. And Jesus is saying in this passage, I, I want my people not only to make me central over all their other relationships, but I want them to take all of their expectations, all of their plans, all the things they want, and subordinate all of them to me. And even if that means, God, there's certain things I won't be able to have because I'm willing to die for you. That's how I want my people to live. I got a letter, an email this week from, um, from a fellow that attended a seminary in our area who is living in Iraq, undercover, ministering with Christians who are struggling in one of the cities in Iraq. And when he wrote the email, he said, ISIS has just come to our city. And in the email, he said, what they're doing with some of my Christian brothers and sisters is they're coming into these homes and they're pulling out the children before the parents and they're telling the children to deny Christ. And if they don't, in front of their parents, they're killing the children and then going on to the next place. And when he wrote the email, he said, I'm not leaving so I don't know if you'll get another email from me. I don't know what's happened with that. I'm still, I, I don't know what's happened with that guy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, okay, people that know him, I say, can somebody please tell me what's going on? So I, I don't know what's happening there. We have brothers and sisters across this country, across this world, that are giving their lives for Jesus. Don't, don't you think they'd like to grow up and have a nice job? Marry people and have children and be healthy and, we all have expectations. You have people that are saying, if following you means I die because I love you more than even my own expectations, that's okay. And folks, I look at my own life. Nobody recently has come up to me and said, think, Biner, off with your head unless you deny Jesus. No, has anybody said that to you recently? No, 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 no. I mean, we live in America. We're secure, we're safe, so we think. Um, but do I allow my expectations, my plans, to become more important than Jesus? I, um, I like to be successful in whatever I do. I like to be healthy each and every day. 
I want things just to go smoothly. Don't you? And God chooses again and again in ways that I don't fully understand. It's a mystery to me. To bring things into my life that I don't want. And he calls me to follow him even when I don't fully understand. Am I willing to even die for him? And if I'm willing to do that, maybe I can subordinate all of my desires and expectations to him. Folks, is this easy? Am I, am I looking out there to everybody saying, oh, faint brother, I got that one down. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. It's got to be his work in our hearts. But it is what he lays before us. Christianity is not something to be played with. It is something to submit to so that he takes priority over every relationship in my life. He takes priority over every expectation. And it doesn't mean the expectations are bad, folks. You know, somebody says, I, we have a lot of people, I'd like to get married someday, somebody might say. Is that a bad expectation? It's a wonderful thing. But I can't promise you it's going to happen. Don't walk away from Christ because of that. Stay, stay with your Savior. What will it cost? It will cost me all my relationships. It will cost me what I want. And there, according to verse 33, it'll cost me what I own, all my possessions. No one can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Now, is he suggesting by that you can't have a car, you can't have a house, you can't, you know, no clothes, maybe one set of clothes, that's it. Is that the point? Or does he mean, I own nothing, he owns it all. And I am a steward of what he has graciously given to me. To use as he sees fit. Perhaps that means for some people they choose to downsize before God as they pray. That's up to them. That's between them and God. The point is, they're always wrestling with this idea. Everything I have is God's. I am merely a steward. So how do I use it for him? And Jesus plays it straight. Christianity will cost you everything. Think of your most intimate relationships. Yep. Think of... Your prized possessions. My toolbox. My firearms. Yes. My sewing machine. You got it. My baking stuff. Yep. Everything, folks. I, I can't find any wiggle room in this passage. You know? Because it's not there. Well, you say... Um, all right, Jesus, I recognize the cost. Um, perhaps then uh, I, I, I shouldn't engage in this. Well, he goes on to say something, second thing in this passage. Not only to recognize the cost of following him, but embrace the opportunity of following him. 
He plays it absolutely straight. And then he says, with all your heart, go for it. Because there is nothing better in life than that. Plays it absolutely straight, though. You know, let, let me read something to you, and then, then I'll jump into that. I, I, I picked this up a couple years ago. Somebody had sent this to Billy Graham, uh, a, young, a young woman who was dating a guy who was involved with the Communist Party. I don't know if you ever heard it, but it, it, it's been out there. And Billy Graham, he recorded this thing. I, I think it's really quite interesting. Listen Listen to the level of commitment this guy has to something that is a false system. So what he says. He says, we communists have a high casualty rate. rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have time or money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. We have been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We support our petty personal selves into a greater movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in his small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing which I am dead earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread, and my meat. I work at it in the daytime, and I dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, and actions according to how, to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. Is that amazing to you? And it's not even true. It's falsehood. It's a false system. And yet we know the true and living God. And Jesus says, recognize the cost of being a disciple. But then, embrace it. Do you notice that second parable? It's the guy that goes, goes, goes to war, a king. And he sends his guys out and he counts up his troops and they find out they have 10,000. He counts the number on the other side and he finds out they have 20,000. And the guy knows his mathematics at least a little bit. And he realizes this, I can never defeat that guy. So, I must surrender. And if I surrender, there can be some peace in my kingdom. Yes, he'll rule my kingdom, that's all true. But my people can go free. And he decides, because he could never beat that guy, that it's better to surrender. 
And Jesus is saying the same thing. Will it cost people everything to be his follower? Yes. But is there anything better in life than that? So yeah, count the cost, but then embrace the opportunity because you could never beat him. You could only ever surrender to him. That's the only option. We're told in antiquity that as Alexander the Great was moving across the plain, just, and you know, he just took one area after another. Over, I mean, it was like a blitzkrieg. And as he was moving, he came to a particular city. There was this huge embankment right, right off of the city itself. It was all enclosed. And again, he talked to the, the leaders at the wall, and he said, if you surrender, we'll let you live, and you'll have to come under our authority and so forth. And they said, why should we have this great wall? And he pulled back and he looked at his troops and he told them to start marching toward the embankment. And they did. And when they got to the embankment, one soldier after another went over the side and then he stopped them. And he looked back at the city and he said, I have thousands of soldiers with that commitment. And the city surrendered. Because they couldn't win. You'll never beat Christ. You will bow to Christ. Either in this world or the world to come. But in the world to come, it'll be too late. It will honor him, but it will not help you. And he says, you can't win this battle. So yes, it will cost, but embrace it. Because to surrender is to come under his authority. And at the end of the day, there's nothing better than that. Is following hard? Yes. Is it also freeing at the same point? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that a paradox? There's the freedom in following that's hard. Yeah, it's all true. It's all true. And Jesus gives this parable. And <coughs> so he says, your way will always sp spell disaster. So embrace following after him. There was a movie years ago, and I was intrigued by the title. The movie was entitled, and it was a secular movie. It was entitled, The World is Not Enough. I thought, that's a lot of insight from somebody that's totally secular. Because that's exactly what the scripture says. Embrace the opportunity. Your way will always spell disaster. You were designed to follow God, verses 34 and 35. Look at what he says. Salt is good. But even if it has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned again? It is useless. It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, I know technically salt cannot lose its saltiness, but in the ancient world, these blocks were a mix of salt and different things. And if, if the salt washed off, that block is good for nothing. Here's the point. You and I were created to know the true and living God, weren't we? We were created to converse with him every day. Do you know that? Adam and Eve would come into the garden. Can you imagine what that was like to talk to God? He would talk. I, I mean, I just, I can't wait for all that stuff. We were created to know and communicate with the true and living God. We weren't designed for anything else. And then, out of the overwhelming 
love he has for us and our love for him, we were then to extend that to everybody else we know. And with the fall, everything got messed up. And now I don't love my friends and my family the way I should. And I do this and I do that. And I, and I don't talk with him the way I just, everything's messed up, isn't it? And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God becomes a man to save us so we can have that relationship with him again. And the gospel is all about restoring the design that he had for us from the beginning. I'm not much of a carpenter or a mechanic. I get a little bit jealous when I'm around Dave Rader. <laughs> it's like he can do anything, you know, on those areas. I mean, it just, you know, it, it, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the way God gives people. But, you know, now I can do a couple things. You give me a hammer, say, hit that nail. I can do that. I mean, I, you know, ask me to design something, plumbing. Oh, forget it. I have to call a friend. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But I know a couple things. I know the way you're supposed to use a screwdriver, and you can't use a screwdriver as a hammer. Like, I know that one. And there are, most of the world are screwdrivers trying to live as hammers. And we were never designed that way. We were not designed to live on our own. We were not designed to do it our way. We were designed to know God through his son. And he says here, salt is to be salt. Because that's what salt does. You were made to know the true and living God. That's the way we should live. So Jesus says, Huge crowds following him, thinking they can get all kinds of things from Jesus. A miracle here and this there and whatever. Maybe, maybe a revolutionary in the process, whatever. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Count the cost. You follow me. It'll cost you everything. Your relationships, your expectations, your, what you own, everything. But then embrace it. Because your way will always spell disaster. And if you follow me, you will live out your design from the true and living God. Do you see, folks? That's the way we're supposed to live. God knows better than any of us if we'll just live that way. Suppose you approached me and I had a beautiful diamond. I mean, incredible. So, Tim Hupp approaches me. Tim, Tim's on the front, so I can, you know. Carmel, are you too far back? Right? You, you, you don't sit up here anymore, do you? Ever since that time, you just learned. That's right, you know. I mean, I already did Dave. But Dave, Dave, Dave stays there. I'm impressed with that, but whatever, you know. So, we'll use Tim. Now, let's use Victor. Let's use Victor. Okay, he's over here. I'll use him a little bit. So Victor comes up to me and says, Doug, I'd love to have that diamond. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. And I said, Victor, you can have it. Well, how much is it? I said, well, it's priceless. You could never afford it. But didn't you just say I could have it? Yeah. You can have it, but you could never afford it. Okay, um, 
So you're going to give it to me now. Yeah, I'll give it to you. But when I give it to you, everything you have is now mine. So he goes through, okay, well, my, my bank account, yeah, I'll take that. And he says, um, man, alive, this is, this is quite a bit. I said, you got any money in your pocket? Yeah, I'll take that too. Okay. It's not much, but, but, but something. Uh, and, and he tells me he's, he's got a home. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. Any rentals? That's mine too. Cars? I'll take them. And I go right down the line. And he says, man, there's not going to be anything for me to do with my family. Oh, you got a family? Okay. I'm in charge of your wife, your children, everything. And I go right down the list. He goes, man, there's nothing left but me. And I said, I want you too. <laughs> you can have this priceless diamond which you could never afford. But when I give it to you, I own everything that you have. If you come to Christ, you can never buy your salvation. It's priceless. It's paid by the death of Christ alone. But when you accept him, he owns it all. Brothers and sisters, let's live out who we are. I, I, it's not easy. It's hard. It's impossible. It's all that stuff. It's possible by his power. It's where he wants to move us. And it's living out his design for our life. Let's get serious about what really counts. Let's pray. Father.